since the new year, I've been talking about endurance. This is the last message that I have on this subject. The ability to keep going through difficulties and not give up. Because God has made promises. And even if it takes thousands of years, God is going to fulfill his promise. In the meantime, we have to continue through difficulties, suffering, things we don't understand. And in fact, they make us ask the question, if God is with me, then why am I going through this? In Psalm 119, the psalmist prays, do not let me be ashamed of my hope. And the reason why you would be ashamed of your hope is if you stopped waiting for it. You became disillusioned. You said to yourself, this is not going to happen. And I'm wasting my time to wait for a promise that isn't going to happen. And so the psalmist prays, don't let me be ashamed of my hope. One way he enables us to not be ashamed of our hope is to explain what it is we're going through and the purpose for it. God develops our endurance through suffering and afflictions and there is no other way to go. These sufferings are absolutely necessary. And if you know the purpose behind it, it will enable you to continue. And there's two parts to this that we're going to look at today. The first part is that God uses suffering to transform you. The second part is that God uses what he transforms in you to affect other people's lives. In other words, he wants to make you significant so that your life affects somebody else without you touching them. And that means that God is going to use what happens to you to draw other people to Jesus that they will be transformed as well. So the suffering that you experience is part of your salvation, but then it also goes beyond you to affect other people. So I'm reading this morning in Psalm 40. 
And it says here, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So David, the one who wrote this psalm, got into a situation that he could not get out of. And he calls it here, in verse 2, a horrible pit. Other translators describe this as a pit of destruction. And when I looked up the word in Hebrew, it's the sound of two armies clashing. Kind of the thing you might hear when you watch Lord of the Rings. But really, you don't get that from, like when I'm looking at my home system, it's a little nine inch with little tiny speakers and you don't really get the theater experience. So the closest I've come to actually hearing a noise like this happened when I was playing with a Christian rock band in Tokyo. And on Sundays, at a stretch of road near Yoyogi Park, it's four lanes in either direction and they shut a section of that road down. And then all sorts of music groups will set up on all sides of the street and all the way down. And they have generators so they can get all the electricity they need for their PA systems and their lights. Some of these guys have 5,000 watt generators. And there might be 30 or 40 different groups just five feet away from one another and they turn it up and they let it rip. And when you're standing in the middle of this, you think, whoa, this is pretty intense. And then five minutes later, you're going, okay, I'm done. But you can't leave. And so it goes on and on and on and it pummels you physically. And you can't think. Because it's not just smoke on the water, it's also some Megadeth song right next to some 50s song, all playing at the same time. It's the soundtrack to the movie Hell. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just this crushing, grinding sound that beats you up and makes it impossible to think. Now that's what this situation was to David. Whatever it was, it was not a literal pit. Does everybody get that? And so it wasn't a problem that David wasn't looking where he was going or whatever, or maybe he thought, hey, I can just jump across this pit. Oops, made a mistake. It's not a literal pit, and yet we don't know much about it. We don't know specifically what David's situation was. We can guess, because we got a, a lot of his life laid out in scripture, but even so, there's no clue here what it was. And that's good, because if he put down something specific, when we read this, we would say, oh, well, it, it has to do whenever your son rises up in rebellion and is trying to kill you. Well, that's not happening to me, so this doesn't apply to me. It's kind of like Paul with his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. So there, it, it's the same thing. You can't say, well, you know, he had a problem with his eyes because of malaria, and therefore, because I don't have malaria, this doesn't apply to me. We tend to excuse ourselves and disqualify ourselves because we know ourselves. But we don't know what this is. So David's experience does apply to us. Does everybody get that? You can't say, well, my sufferings are so minuscule, so, you know, it has to be something intense. Nope. Whatever it was, David couldn't get out of it. Now, if you fall into a pit, just to be literal for a second, you could say, well, that was dumb. Now I'm going to get out. So what would you do? Well, you'd look for something you could climb on or, you know, there's always a twig. <laughs> I've seen the movies. That's how it works. There's a twig and you pull yourself up on it. You pull yourself out and you just go along. And you say, well, that was dumb, but we're done. Well, David couldn't do that. So if you can't pull yourself out, what's the next thing you do? You call out for help. Help? Crickets. Nothing. Okay. Well, let's get serious about this. Let's thrash around some more and figure it out. Dang, I just lost my shoe. Because this is miry and it's like suction. You can't get a grip. There went my shoe and now my socks are dirty. I hate it when my socks get dirty. So, okay, then you pray. Lord, 
This is a pit, I can't get out of it. Please help me get out, in Jesus' name, amen. And you know, because you said, in Jesus' name, amen, it's gonna work. (laughs) Crickets, nothing. And you sort of half expected that anyway, you know, because you pray and it's like, boo, boo, just bounce off the heavens. They never get to God. So now you're going, whoa. Nothing works. Nothing is working, and this situation is going on and on and on and on. And see, David came to a conclusion. And that is, only God can get me out of this, or else I'm not getting out at all. In other words, he stopped trying to save his life because he was doing everything he could to save his life and it wasn't working. So he gave up trying to save his life. And he says, if God doesn't save me, I am dead. There was no hope over here, and he turned his back and he says, God alone, there's no plan B. Now this is an interesting conclusion to come to because everybody in the Bible comes to this conclusion at one point or another. Jacob is gonna face his brother Esau coming toward him with 400 men And he has done everything he knows how to do to buy Esau off. And that's not a bad idea. Speak his language, send him cattle, and just say, hey, it's cool, I'll share anything with you. Possessions are not important right now. My life is important to me. But at the end, He's stuck, and he can't get out of this. And so he ends up wrestling with God. And when he figures out this is God, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me, because if you don't bless me, I'm dead. And it happens to so many people in the Bible, and they come down to this thing, if you don't help me, I'm dead. There is no other way. None of them are trying to save their lives. Esther, she knows that a decree has gone out to kill all the Jews in the empire. And Mordecai says to her, if you go in and talk to the king, you can do something about this. And she says, he hasn't called for me in a month. And if I go in there without him summoning me, I could die unless he holds out the scepter to me. And Mordecai says, you know what? God's going to help the Jews, but you're not going to make it. And so she comes to this conclusion. I'll go in and talk to him, and if I die, 
I die. And she's not messing around. So she has taken this on board and said, unless God does something, I'm dead. And that's the point that David came to. That is how he can say, I waited patiently for the Lord in an environment that is pummeling me and making it impossible for me to think. Because I'm going to die unless God saves me, but there is no alternative. So, the time came and God saved David. You can imagine that would be a tremendous moment. That is, hope was not in vain, that he was not ashamed of his hope, that God did save him. What a moment to be drawn out of something that you could not get out of on your own. And instead of this environment where there's no solid footing whatsoever, all of a sudden you're on a solid surface. I wonder if David got down on all fours and kissed that rock. Wow. I don't even care that my socks are dirty anymore. This solid foundation is so fabulous. <laughs> it's over. So he wrote a song. And a song is about remembering. He wanted to remember this and not forget what God did right this week. But he found something interesting was going on because God saved him. Now it's fabulous that God saved him. But then David saw that his life was also affecting others. Look what it says in verse three. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. So David has experienced the fact that people look at him and his experience and they come to this conclusion. There has to be a God because that's the only explanation for him coming out of that impossible situation. And I want that. David is the proof that there is a God in heaven who hears prayer and saves to the uttermost. I'm just looking at this guy. That's the real thing I'm looking at. I want that. Now, look at what David learned through this experience. That is, he learned he can trust his life to God alone. Not God and. Because there was no alternative. And see, when you have experienced that, 
and you know that God saves, he really does save, well then why would you fuss with anything less than God? Is anything else good enough? Almost as good as and a heck of a lot cheaper? Why would you fuss with anything so inferior and cheap? David says, no, 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 not anymore, not this. This is it, God only. I'm not giving any other wannabe God the time of day. They can all go jump in the lake A fire. And then he learns something else. God heard his prayers all that time. See, he says in verse five, many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. Now, you get the impression when you pray that God maybe listens, maybe he doesn't. You don't know. You can't tell, can you? Wouldn't it be great if we knew, like, like you're looking at your WhatsApp, and the message goes, and there's a check, then there's two checks, and then it's blue, and then you know. Okay, you jerk, you've seen this. Quit ignoring me, you've seen this. One check, two checks, blue. Okay, God, come on. We don't get that, we just pray. And you know, you wait for the tingle. Well, that doesn't come either. You just pray and it's like, woo, where'd it go? Cyberspace for sure. Well, you get the impression that God only knows the name brands. But he doesn't know the little guys. Does he listen to the big names? But what about us? Well, look, God has thought every possible thought about you that can ever be thought. Imagine that for a second. He knows what color your eyes really are. And he knows how many hairs have been on your head. I've thought out my theology in this department. And you know, I get them all back, so God is going to restore everything in number. Not just one hair less, and you know, live with it, but everything. Now you know, only, only somebody infinite would take trouble to count how many hairs are on your head, but he knows. He knows how many atoms are in your body. He knows what you ate for breakfast. He knows what you wish you could have eaten for breakfast. He knows every decision you've ever made. He knows every failure, every mistake, every sin. 
He knows about you from conception until the day you die. He has thought every thought about you that can possibly be thought. He has completely comprehended all of your ways. There are too many to count his thoughts. Now, you know, I tried one time to think about myself because I read this and I thought, well, you know, I'm a champion narcissist. I could think about myself if I really, you know, sat down and said, let's think about me for a while, come on. And I don't think I lasted even a couple of minutes and I ran out of things to think about. I thought, wow, that's it? But God, his thoughts toward me cannot be counted for multitude. You know, we're talking like sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. God has thought completely about us. Does he know the situation I'm in? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because he thought it up. That pit that you're in, he designed it for you, specifically, to do a work in your life that could not be accomplished any other way. And you know what it is, is to humble you. Verse four, blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. You see, if you're trusting in the Lord, your life is founded upon truth. And if you turn aside from the Lord, you have turned aside to lies. where you will live in doubt and insecurity and fear and ignorance because you do not know where you are. You are groping in the dark. So God did something really important in David to humble him. And the reason why he humbled him is that he gives grace to the humble. But the proud, God knows from afar. He's not going to bless a person who thinks he's better than he really is. Because that's what it means to be proud. And, you know, everything wicked goes along with being proud without exception. You can figure it out for yourself. If I think I'm better than I really am, then the next thing I'm going to be is ignorant. Because I'm the, I'm the best guy in the room, I can't learn anything from anybody else, they're all stupid and I'm smart. So arrogance and ignorance always go hand in hand. And then, because I count and nobody else counts, 
I can treat people any way I want because all that matters is me and they don't matter and I don't care. So I'm just going to blow up all my relationships and the heck with them anyway. All that counts is me. And you can follow this out and realize if I think I'm better than I really am, that is the source of every wicked thing. But when you're humble, the reverse of being proud, you don't even think about yourself all that much. And then you find that every good thing comes out of not thinking about yourself, but thinking about others. Like obedience. If I really obey somebody, at some point, I'm going to have to say no to myself in order to obey that person. Otherwise, it's going to cost me too much. If I really look out for myself, I will say, whoa, I could lose a lot by obeying. I could lose my life. That's too important to me. So to protect myself, I say, no, I'm not going to obey. But if I'm not thinking about myself, but thinking about the one I'm responsible to and I don't think about myself, I will obey even to the point of death, just like Jesus. See? You get that from Philippians chapter 2. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He wasn't thinking about, gee, I'm going to lose my life. He says, for this purpose I came. What shall I say now? Father, save me from this? He says, no. Not my will, but yours be done. That is humility. And every other good thing that you can think about comes out of not especially thinking about yourself, but thinking about others. So, you either think like the devil or you think like God. And there's no third way to think. So, David learned a lot by going through this suffering and it changed his attitude. I can imagine David in a pit going, you know what, <laughs> this is really frustrating and this is stupid and this is a waste of time. I could be accomplishing something good. I could be doing something instead of stewing here in this stupid thing that I cannot get out of. What a waste. Why can't we get productive here? And, you know, you get that impression as you're going through this. You say, Lord, what a great sanctification this has been. Isn't this wonderful? Can't, we're done now, right? I'm so much more sanctified than I was, let's say, five minutes ago when I prayed this prayer before. Can we get some action here? I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. 
But you know, once out of the pit, he can look back and he can see, you know, God is doing something in me and through me to touch other people that could not be accomplished any other way. So, how do you feel about it now, David? And I'm sure David would say, I'm good with it. All that junk I went through, how I learned that God saves and there is no other God, I'm good with that. People looking at me and saying, I want that too. That's amazing. Out of my life, I'm good with that. And see, this is, this is what the Apostle Paul had to learn. You think apostles emerge from the womb perfect, right? But see, Paul had to learn this as an apostle. That God gave him this thing that put him on the floor. And he prayed three times about this. Apostolically, not just your ordinary ground level bottom feeder kind of prayer, but apostolically, God, and nothing. Twice. So he prays a third time. And then he gets an answer he did not expect. God says, nah, I like you like that. See, because my power is made perfect in weakness. And when everybody looks at you, they know there's a God. See, because they know there has to be a true and real and divine power enabling you because we can see you can't do this. Paul, are you okay with God not answering your prayer? Yeah, I'm cool. That's good. I'm good with that. How's your spike? It hurts. That's okay. So, you know, that helped the Corinthians to understand the suffering they were going through. And that's been helping people understand their suffering for the last 2,000 years. Paul, are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm good with that. Now see, I learned this principle. This is why I can relate to this. It's because I went through my own pit. A situation I could not get out of. And thrashing didn't help. Praying in Jesus' name did not work. I was stuck. Could not go forward, could not go backwards. And it lasted way longer than I thought it ought to. I thought, maybe this is purgatory for Protestants. 
How can I exist in this situation where it does not stop? There's no light at the end of the tunnel and I'm dying. So because I kept meditating, I got to Psalm 40 and I, I, I read, I waited patiently for the Lord. And I thought, well, why don't you teach me how to do that? Because here I am just going, or, and I would like to know how do you do, tum-ti-tum-tum. I am waiting for the Lord, patiently. Why don't you just drop that one on me? And I kept meditating. And this is where God taught me about his own nature. That he himself is humble. And that he was teaching me what that's all about. That there's something more important than success. There's something more important than victory. More important than health and wealth and prosperity. And that is that I learn Christ. And if I get out of this life without learning Christ, I have missed everything. And it doesn't matter what else I did, because I blew it. Because everything you do in this life is temporary. And none of it's going to last. But to have your essential nature changed so that you become humble, that is worth your whole life. And I learned I'm not a mistake. It's not an accident that I ended up where I ended up. None of it's an accident. I am in a specific situation designed for me to make me like Christ. My pit was handmade for me, signed God. I thought, wow. Here I am getting saved the whole time. Didn't even know it. I thought God just disconnected the phone and moved away. Turns out we're on schedule the whole time as if he was up in heaven with a stopwatch. Get him out of there. He's done. And you know, the most important thing is that before honor is humility all the way. All humility now because it's going to be all glory then. So don't be afraid of the humility. Don't be afraid of dying. Don't try to hang on to your life. It's not worth it. And we studied that at the Christian Union in Farnham. Somebody picked Matthew 10.39. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And 
What an amazing thought that you can lose your life and give yourself utterly up to death and you won't lose, you'll find it. So don't be afraid to die. Embrace it. Well, the punchline to this, and there are many, but I'm only going to give you one, is having learned all this in private, just me and God, right? Then some guy asked me, well, how are you doing? And I told him. And he says, I want you to teach this at a missionary conference. I go, great. Like somewhere in the back, do a session, you know, just a, a breakout session, right? He says, no, I want you to do a main session. And I go, okay, kill me now. And little did I know that it was something that would touch raw nerves all throughout the missionary conference and everybody who was live streaming. So many hurting people who were convinced their lives were a mistake, they're in a pit they can't get out of. And the one that just blew my mind was a daughter of a missionary couple who's got health issues. She was in a wheelchair. She's like weak. It's, it's a combination of all the shadowy fibromyalgia stuff that doctors won't even touch kind of thing. And it was a Wednesday morning. And she said to her folks, you know what? I've got nothing out of this conference and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so, I'm so wiped out. And she goes, if I don't get something, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you know, I read Psalm 40 this morning and it kind of spoke to me. So she goes to the session and I'm teaching that session and I taught Psalm 40. And I tell you, it's an amazing thing to know that God takes your suffering and does something with it eternally that affects other people eternally. Viktor Frankl was a psychologist who was in a concentration camp in World War II. And he, he couldn't stop observing people. And he noticed that some people were dying and others were living and surviving. And he thinks, that person shouldn't have died. Why is that person still alive? And he realized the people who died had no meaning in their life. They were to move this pile of dirt 15 feet over here and when they got done, move it back. Their work had no meaning. And it was easy to think, you know what, my life has no meaning. Death would be better than this meaningless suffering. And so they died. 
But other people looked around themselves and said, you're not doing so good. Do you want my soup or do you want my bread? And they helped people around them because they got helped, it helped them. They had a reason to keep on living. And so what Viktor Frankl thought out was a very simple formula. Suffering minus meaning equals despair. But suffering plus meaning equals hope. And you need hope to live. And see, hope gives you endurance. Good is coming. I am going to receive that. Therefore, I am not going to give up in my suffering and in my affliction. So, you know, I am in a pit of destruction, but God made it. And because he made it, I am coming out of it. And God is going to work through me to affect others. Am I okay with that? Are you okay with that? That's what you need to decide once and for all. So this suffering you're going through that you wish you could avoid, it is absolutely necessary, regardless of what it is. And it's necessary to make you like Christ. And God is going to use that to affect others for good. And I promise you, God is going to save you. And then your life will affect others for good. And this suffering is temporary, and then it's glory forever. Are you okay with that? Okay, let's pray. Here we are, Heavenly Father. We thank you that you really are good. You're not indifferent. You're not far away. You're not uncaring. We thank you that your word says that you do not willingly afflict the sons of men. But you do discipline us that we might share your holiness. And that is an awesome thing that you're doing with us. Not just a slight insignificant thing, but it's got eternal weight and meaning. And so we're thankful that you take infinite pains with us. 
And that is why you discipline us thoroughly, perfectly. We thank you, Lord, that we can submit to you. Help us not to be afraid to die and to depend upon you alone. You alone are the resurrection and the life. We trust in your promise that you're going to save us out of every evil deed and bring us safely to your heavenly kingdom. We put our trust in you alone. And we commit ourselves to you. We entrust ourselves to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.